people struggling, people dying. Every day's another headline. While people cheating, people lying, leaving everybody else behind. We can wait for somebody else to come along. We can get on our feet and shout it. Welcome back to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. We took a little post-election hiatus here, and now we are back. Today we'll be talking with uh, Milwaukee County Board Member Peter Bergelis about the I-94 expansion that um, was was confirmed um, and finalized last month, about a week and a half after the election. Um, But first, I'm here with Will. And we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, Congressional Act to, to prevent railroad railroad workers from striking. Um, as as you all probably know by now, uh, Democrats and Republicans in Congress acted to basically force a contract that workers rejected onto them to prevent a railroad strike, which could potentially be catastrophic to the supply chain. Um, could be catastrophic for a lot of billionaires that that uh, need their margins to stay the same. Um, you know, I think something that's really interesting is that Biden and Democrat Biden carried uh, union households by 14 points in 2020. Democrats carried them uh, by 15 points in last month's election. And now uh taking literally a congressional act to reverse the decision of the rank and file union membership um, on the railroads uh, to force a contract with no paid sick leave um, onto those workers, you know, pretty screwed up. What do you think, Will? I mean, it's such a, it's so on brand for the Democrats that they have an opportunity to collect a major win for the American working class and they uh i'm trying to think of a a way to stay you know defecated in the bed the the classic phrase without actually saying it um but it's i don't know why the democrats can't just take softballs and and hit them out of the park maybe it's because they are the washington generals and this is all political theater um I guess I do understand the argument that hypothetically, if there was some kind of rail rail strike and the economy was hit hard, which, you know, good, <laughs> it's showing the impact right, that that's these, the purpose that that's the point. Um, but, <laughs> you know, if you're Joe Biden and that happens on your watch, the vast majority of Americans who don't understand the importance of standing with labor are just going to see oh the numbers are tanking joe biden is ruining the economy and then donald trump swoops in in 2024 
wins, you know, 35, 40 states and all of a sudden democracy is gone. I think that's their fear. Um, Would it play out that way? Probably not. But the Democrats will sit there and argue till they're blue in the face that we can't have the economy collapse on our watch because it looks bad for us down ballot across, you know, every every race in the in the country. And then the workers get screwed again because of it. Yeah, I mean, what what is most confusing to me about this entire debate is the fact that, you know, Buttigieg and um, Marty Walsh have been running around with their hair on fire going, well, the economy is going to collapse. The purpose, I mean, the purpose of being able to strike and forming a union is that the economy is dependent on workers. You are proving the fact that the entire system is dependent on the people that reap the least benefit from the system. Um, that they're, they're admitting the quiet part out loud. Without right. the people that make horrible wages and have to sleep in rail cars and have to work mile-long trains with one with one human uh or two humans there it's it's completely insane i mean like it well the the unions have come out and and said essentially that um because of the pandemic a lot of uh a lot of cuts have happened across the industry so they're expecting these people to be doing the jobs of two three four rail workers and now there's only like one of them to do this job and then they're surprised when you know quality suffers like yeah you're forcing people to to right to do 10 times the amount of work they're paid to do and they're already underpaid right i mean it's it's really this thing where it it, this is another example of where covid really exposed how really like tape and glued together our society is where businesses before covid had been doing everything they can to slice everything down to the most marginal cost um to save the most money that even these tiny little disruptions completely warp the system. And I, you know, I think this, this quote is really interesting to me as well. Um, Grist wrote this really great article about um, how the fossil fuel companies played a big role in, um, you know, Congress stepping in here and the, an, an organization that represents BP, Exxon Mobil, and Chevron put out a warning to their uh, friends in Congress that um, a rail strike would pull $160 billion out of the economy and lead to 700,000 job losses, most of which coming in the fossil fuel industry. And once again, fossil fuel um, kind of gets their way and can kind of push things around. I mean, there were a lot of corporate interests that, you know, obviously um, played a role in this, but I mean, it's it it really shows how, you know, apparently the quote unquote most labor friendly president since FDR. Who who are those three uh, oil giants that you just mentioned? BP, Exxon and who's the third? BP, Exxon and Chevron. Chevron. You know, that meme of from the Harry Potter movies where Professor McGonagall is like, how come every time happens, it's always you three. And then it pans to Harry, Ron and Hermione. I feel yeah. like it I feel like that is how come every time something disastrous happens to the working class or how come something every time something disastrous for the environment happens it's always U3 and then it would be BP Chevron and ExxonMobil. Pretty much. 
Yep, throw in like Raytheon and Boeing and your <laughs> Lockheed Martin. Yeah, the single the war machine and the oil <laughs> machine. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much every problem that we have in the world goes back to that. But I mean, I, I, you know, we can't. My last note because we we have our our guest to interview here. But um, I think it's it's just so frustrating to see that these people that claim to be pro pro labor are blocking strikes because of the economy when the whole purpose is that by saying that you are proving that workers are more important than the capital holders. Yeah. You're I admitting mean, admitting that the entire economy is dependent upon minimum wage labor. Mathematically, if a hundred thousand workers are capable of shutting down the entire United States economy, what would that mean we could do if we got a million, two million, five million workers on the same page and said enough is enough? You know, if, if these industries are so incredibly vital that the American economy can't survive without them, why have we not nationalized them? We shouldn't be Absolutely. privatizing industry that's that will collapse the economy with any kind of fair labor practices implemented like that's well, that's absurd. That's and the whole argument against nationalization is that it makes the system fragile because it's running on one, you know, basically there's one ownership. The country owns it. But look at how fragile it is with private ownership. They're saying one strike could crash the entire American economy. And, you know, they it, the argument always is that private industry is less fragile. I think every time that, you know, we have to bail them out or we have to, you know, keep their workers from striking – it makes the argument that private industry isn't fragile pretty silly. Mm -hmm. um, but, okay, without further ado, we will bring on our guest, uh, Milwaukee County Supervisor Peter Bergelis. We're going to be talking about I-94 expansion. Stay tuned. Right now is the moment we've been waiting for. Right now, never been a better time. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. We are now joined by Peter Bergelis, who is a uh, member of the Milwaukee County Board. And we were hoping to talk about I-94 expansion. Uh, Peter, welcome to the podcast. And first of all, would you like to kind of introduce yourself, how you got involved in politics um, and, and what issues are most important to you? What kind of got you involved? Hey, Anders, William, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, my name is Peter Bergelis. My, I use he, him pronouns. Um, I represent the 15th district on the Milwaukee County Board. Uh, that district was newly, was recently remapped and stretches from Washington Park uh, on the north side of the district down to Alverno on the south side of the district. So it's a great uh, diverse representation uh, of the diversity of Milwaukee County. And I'm proud to represent uh, 54,000 people uh, in Milwaukee on the county board. Um, I got into politics uh, because I realized that the person that represented me uh, that time in City Hall didn't represent my values. And I thought, um, how can this person vote against the ordinance that banned gay conversion therapy? It's still passed in the city, right? Um, 12 to 2, but he was one of the two votes against it. And I thought, I can do better. Um, 
And I didn't, I ran against, I ran for alderman in 2020, didn't quite make it, was pretty, um, yeah, we had a, a few uh, unique challenges with voting in April of 2020, if you remember back. Um, and I didn't, I needed high turnout to win. I didn't, there, we didn't have it in the city. Um, but when I saw an opportunity to run for the county board and uh, replace a 22 year incumbent who was congenial and pleasant and present, but also mildly racist and wholly misogynistic, um, that also did not represent my values. Uh, and I um, was successful in that uh, campaign and um, uh, very proud to be the first out LGBT member of the Milwaukee County Board uh, and beat that 22 year incumbent, but in what the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel called a, a landslide victory, which was a great win for the district and for Milwaukee County. And, and I'd say the LGBT community as a whole. Yeah, so um, going to I-94 expansion. So uh, this has been something that, that, you know, people have been talking about for a long time. And, you know, even within partisan divides has been kind of split where notably Governor Evers has been, you know, pretty much in favor of this plan while Mandela Barnes notably has been opposed being that, you know, he is from Milwaukee. Um, very interesting to see where the divides on this issue come down. So could you just explain a little bit like the context of this whole, I like wh how did this I-94 expansion project um, come about? And, you know, what has been the process leading up to this decision last month? Sure, so the uh, I-94 East-West, and I'd call it a rebuild project, not an expansion project necessarily, uh, but the I-94 reconstruction project is has been uh, in process for almost a decade, uh, where we know that the freeway that was designed in the 50s and built in the 60s doesn't reflect uh, modern safety standards uh, and current needs for the community. Um, the project stretches uh, for about 90, 95% of the project is within the 15th district. Uh, the project stretches from about 17th Street to 70th Street uh, along I-94 uh, and includes the stadium interchange. And uh, you know, over the years, the Wisconsin Department of Transportation has done, um, I would say, an actually pretty good job of engaging neighbors uh, and um, uh, pr uh, those that are impacted by the construction of the project and those that use I-94 and uh, also those that travel east-west in that um, corridor. Uh, and they, they tell that they've had hundreds of meetings. Well, th that's absolutely true. And uh, we look back uh, at the beginning of the project proposals. They wanted to uh, remove part of the cemetery to widen the freeway uh, just west of the stadium. That is off the table. Uh, after that, they said, well, if we don't widen the stadium, we still need lanes, so we'll just make a double-decker freeway. Well, that's crazy expensive and just not needed. Uh, and again, they listened to the constituents um, uh, and removed and took that off the table. In this, uh, the, the, the project kind of uh, uh, faded away uh, when the legislature didn't want to fund it. Uh, it was brought back a couple of years ago because there, there really is a need to get rid of those left-hand lanes, rebuild the interchange to modern safety standards uh, and make a safer corridor. Um, there's no question uh, that the, that something needs to be done. The, the last piece of contention uh, was the interchange. Uh, what is the stadium interchange going to look like? And then how many lanes of traffic are we going to have uh, in that I-94 rebuild? Is it going to be six lanes, eight lanes, or 18? Um, and 
residents have vocalized uh, a strong support for a fix at six solution, uh, where we have six lanes of traffic. Now, we, uh, once we rebuild the left-hand ramps, uh, congestion will be alleviated not ever eliminated, right? But alleviated and reduced to tolerable levels, uh, and with a tr with a permanent with a permanent transit infrastructure, we won't need that eighth lane, or that seventh or eighth lane, in the rebuild project. Um, and that really was the last piece of contention. Uh, to their credit, uh, the Wisconsin Department of Transportation proposed um, a. a a, a stadium interchange with a hybrid design uh, that included some stop and go lights, but also high flyover ramps. And they called it the hybrid interchange model that was released in December of last year. Uh, and that would have um, made the footprint or the elevation of the stadium interchange about 25 feet taller than it currently is. Uh, currently, the stadium interchange is about as high as the brickwork on Miller Park, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, stadium, uh, county stadium, I'm sorry, uh, and field. Um, so the the brickwork on field, the the brickwork is is about as high as the um, as the the freeway uh, flyover ramps. Um, the that hybrid proposal would have built uh, a taller interchange with a, a, a flyover ramp that rivals the arches on the roof of Ampam Field. Um, in um, with strong community opposition. Uh, they developed a smaller scale and new traffic counts for Wisconsin 175. Uh, the department uh, put together a, a smaller scale interchange or a diverging diamond option, which actually um, is reflective of the actual traffic counts from 2019 through the pandemic and post pandemic uh, uh, from 175 where you don't have as much traffic. Uh, that, that original stadium design was, was anticipated to connect to other freeways that were never built, right? So it's a freeway spur that doesn't have the traffic that uh, it was uh, designed and originally intended to have. You don't need the same full uh, free flowing, uh, tall uh, spaghetti uh, interchange that uh, was proposed. So they had the hybrid option that was still really tall. And now this, the preferred design uh, has a diverging diamond option where you have cross traffic and stop and go lights on 175, which is appropriate for the level of traffic that uh, that we see there. The I-90 or the Wisconsin 175 reconstruction or reimagination project is a completely separate from this I-94 reconstruction. Uh, and that project was announced, uh, the reimagination of 175 was announced in May of 2022 um, by uh, Transportation Secretary Thompson at Washington Park with uh, great support from the mayor and the county executive. A number of county supervisors were there uh, and uh, and residents, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing how that 175 project um, will continue. They're still working behind the scenes to start public engagement on that on that study, uh, but look for that in the, in the next coming months. Uh, but it's wholly separate from I-94, 175, but it's appropriate uh, to consider that because the stadium interchange doesn't need to be that high spaghetti uh, interchange uh, that was previously proposed. So we, we see that the Department of Transportation is listening to residents, sort of. Uh, what is missing from the preferred design uh, is that is any sort of permanent transit infrastructure. Uh, the, 
the the project does include uh, what they claim is a record amount of tra of transit offsets, which is true. Um, a record-breaking uh, 25 to 32 million dollars worth of transit uh, construction offsets, but that's only temporary funding to help mitigate congestion during construction. It's not permanent transit infrastructure. This is the the largest and the only major uh, freeway reconstruction project that the modern Department of Transportation has ever uh, taken upon themselves to or has ever worked on. Uh, so it would make sense that they have the biggest uh, transportation uh, or transit uh, wow, I just, I messed all of that up. Hold on a second. Um, so the, the Department of Transportation um, uh, has touted that a 25 to $32 million temporary transit offset is the most funding for transit they've ever included in a, in a freeway rebuild project. But this project in particular is the biggest uh, freeway rebuild they've had uh, through, a, through the busiest transit a corridor that they've ever considered or they've ever had a, a freeway project. So it would make sense that they have the highest trans, uh, transit offsets, um, which is true, but there's zero dollars in the, in the transportation department's proposal for permanent transit infrastructure. Uh, and that's a, a big piece of the fix at six proposal uh, is to consider not just cars, but multimodal options for transportation, light rail uh, or, um, or uh, buses, um, uh, bike, bicycles, um, all methods of transportation should be considered when evaluating transportation needs for a community. This project considers only that for cars. I mean, I think that's a problem that we're seeing all across the United States, right? We do not have, uh, our cities are not really designed well for um, walking, for biking, for, and it, it's, you know, America is so large from a landmass perspective that it is difficult to travel without personal vehicles. But boy, I wish that some of our cities were a lot easier to to get around without one. I mean, like you even see this in Minneapolis, which, you know, I'm from Minneapolis and, and that's seen very much as a city that takes like environmental issues very seriously but our mayor just blocked a plan to put like 24 hour bus lanes on on some of our busiest streets um and i think that really begs the question kind of as you're alluding to here i think like in the short term we see this need to ex you know uh, alleviate this congestion in in this like highway interchange but at the same time, like, what can we do going forward so that, you know, the next- Hold on, I, these sorry. Yeah, hold on, I gotta I got correct you there on that congestion in Milwaukee. We do not have a rush hour. We have rush 15 minutes, let's be real. <laughs> Traffic congestion in Milwaukee in Southeast Wisconsin is one of the, le we are one of the least congested uh, communities across the country. I think we rank in uh, number 407 of 417 communities considered. Um, we don't, uh, rush hour and traffic congestion is um, uh, a, a much smaller concern here than it is in other places, right? So, um, and the congestion from the I-94 East-West project comes from those left-hand ramps um, right. that don't allow a uh, free flow of traffic anywhere else and you have to wait for everyone to take their turn. Um, Rebuilding the freeway to six lanes with the the safe right hand side uh, ramps 
will alleviate congestion significantly. Um, the Department of Transportation's own data shows it. Uh, it, it the, my, my concern is that overbuilding freeways is, uh, right. is, a, is a common thing that departments of transportation do across the country. They plan for that uh, Walmart Black Friday parking lot. You have to have enough room to accommodate everyone who comes to shop on your busiest day of the year. And frankly, that's not necessary. It's a waste of taxpayer resources. Uh, and it, it, it uh, negatively impacts the neighbors around that freeway development. Um, those are my constituents. No, those are the people that are concerned about this. And you know, to their credit, the Department of Transportation has listened and uh, mitigated the, the scope and the scale of the project to a certain extent. We're just, we're only two lanes away from having a solution uh, uh, that fits the footprint, but we're still missing the, the permanent transit infrastructure that, uh, that the community really needs. Right. Well, I mean, that's that's where my question was going. In no way am I advocating for expanding footprint. I mean, that's what they're they're proposing the same thing up here on I-41 in between Appleton and Green Bay, adding lanes. But in reality, I mean, and I think you know this, that if you add lanes, all you're doing is routing more traffic through the same area, which is increasing pollution. Um, and and I, I think w where my question was going was long term. I see like the, the practicality of this now, but how do we make it so in the long term that we have the ability to the next time one of these projects come up, kind of defer it down this public transportation lane rather than saying, let's make it easier for people to, to drive their personal cars. Kind of where Will was going, like, what do we do? What are the next steps here to kind of make this car question less important and and find ways to enable people to bike more and ride public transportation more in, in Milwaukee? Because I think that, like, I mean, there, there's there's an opportunity to expand that, I think, in every single American city um i i would argue so like what do we do is the next step here so that next time somebody comes and says let's make it eight lanes let's make it 20 lanes whatever we can kind of you know strike back with this with this public transit argument what are the next steps there um that's that's a that's a huge question or a huge ask and a huge lift but i think it's important that uh government hears from the residents that they um, that they represent. Um, you know, I uh, God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? So um, legislators especially need to hear and listen to their constituents more than they uh, spout off. Uh, and I, when we when we look at prioritization for budgets, budgets are value statements on our uh, on our. Um, on our communities, what's important to uh, constituents in, in Milwaukee County, uh, our budget documents reflect uh, where we want to prioritize our dollars. Do we you want send to, your resources to the areas that matter the most? Right, and you know, in Milwaukee's in a unique situation where we are the economic engine for the state of Wisconsin, and we send more and more tax revenue to the state legislature to the state. Uh, and get less and less from the state legislature back. Uh, had uh, shared revenue from the state of Wisconsin been indexed to inflation just since 2010, uh, Milwaukee County would be receiving $83.5 million more each year than we are getting now, just from 2010. 
the state legislature uh, currently has has a projected six point six billion with a B billion dollar surplus. Uh, uh, and you know, and here in Milwaukee, we uh, this pro this freeway project is one point three billion, but uh, our entire county budget for the an entire year for uh, access to services for all of Milwaukee County is $1.3 billion. That's our annual budget. Uh, our domes are, um, are, are in a state of disrepair. We can't afford to uh, figure out how to move forward with that. Um, a reconstruction of the domes was estimated uh, at $80 million. And the state legislature, and, and that's a cultural icon for Milwaukee County, and I'd argue for the state of Wisconsin as well, um, That's that we, that is threatened with uh, demolition by neglect because we can't afford it, because the, the county can't afford to maintain it. But the state legislature is sitting on billions and billions, that's only two, and billions and billions and billions and billions and at 600,000, 600 million more dollars in a surplus just from one year. Um, this, it's, uh, we don't see the same prioritization in budget prioritization and values from the state legislature as we see from the residents of Milwaukee County. And that's a disconnect that is a, is a, a big lift to try to, to rectify. Um, you mentioned something about more lanes, and I wanted to just uh, highlight something about the eight lanes of traffic in this uh, preferred design option. Uh, the eight lanes, uh, we talked about, I mentioned the cemetery squeeze before, where there just isn't enough physical space in between uh, to do that, to, to fit um, a standard designed freeway. This proposal, uh, preferred design option um, that the, the state has selected, um, narrows the roadway from a standard 12 lanes to 11 lanes, only for about a stretch of 30 feet just west of the stadium. And in order to get there, you have to have a gradual um, uh, slope into those narrowed lanes and then a gradual slope out. So although the pinch point's only 30 feet wide, or 30 feet long, the uh, impact to the those eight lanes of traffic is actually for about 3,200 feet of freeway, uh, where you'll have non-standard or, or narrower lanes than um, you normally would. Uh, and then combine that with uh, having shoulders on either side of the freeway of only about two feet. You know, my question to the department was, well, where does the snow go? If you have a eight, if you have four lanes of traffic with a two-foot shoulder. And it snows. This is Wisconsin. We should plan for that. Uh, where does the snow go? And they say, "Oh, we just push it forward." Okay. Well, um, that's that, that's great. But narrowing, uh, narrow, having it narrowed lanes on a freeway that will have higher speeds, I don't think is inherently safer than having a six-lane option with standard size lanes, standard size shoulders, um, with traffic that might go a little bit slower, uh, and is predicted to have. 30 more crashes over the next 10 years, but those crashes will be at slower speeds and will be less impactful than an eight lane um, faster freeway. Yeah, I mean, and, and to touch on shared revenue, because you talked about that, I think shared revenue may win like the, the prize of most times mentioned by local electeds on this <laughs> podcast. I mean, like seriously though, like this is an issue that I guess like a lot of people don't really think about and many people in other states don't even have to worry about at all. But in Wisconsin, I mean, you're right. Like we have this insane government where they're sitting on all these budgetary surpluses and refuse to share it with, you know, 
governments that are trying to plow our roads and run our schools and do all these critical remember that the legislature has kind of vilified the city of milwaukee right they across the state a lot of uh, a lot of conservative politicians have used milwaukee as an example of why you need to keep electing us because it's so big and bad and scary exactly and, you know dangerous, those those dangerous people in milwaukee exactly um, listen listen i i occasionally uh do what uh don't follow best practices for elected officials. And sometimes I do read comments uh, from statewide blog posts or, or, or postings for, for media outlets. Um, best practices is to just not read the comments, right? Because you, you start engaging um, with, um, with, with um, um, residents that have, have nothing better to lose, right? Um, but when I see people from um, up North counties, and I don't want to call anyone out in particular, but um, my family in Vilas County, right, I'll, we can pick on Vilas, um, where people from Vilas County say, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at how wasteful Milwaukee is. They spend so much money on police and you can see they're not even doing uh, a good job protecting their citizens. Why are my tax cut dollars going to, from Vilas going to Milwaukee County? Sir, well, um, you have the right idea, but Milwaukee County is supporting the rest of the state of Wisconsin. Our GDP uh, is equal to seven uh, is is equal to uh, 65 of uh, the rest of the counties uh, across the state of Wisconsin. Um, Milwaukee County supports the rest of the state of Wisconsin. If you want to talk about uh, a welfare budgetary gap, the flow of funds does not go from Vilas County to Milwaukee. The flow of funds is goes from Milwaukee. Milwaukee to is County, subsidizing County. you, right? Right, exactly. It's very right. similar to the argument of um, when you look at uh, that same concept, but at a state level, that a lot of the blue states are kind of the economic engine of the American economy. Uh, and they're giving a lot more tax dollars than they're receiving compared to, uh, we'll use like the Deep South as an example, where they're receiving a lot more tax dollars than they're, than they're giving. It's, it's the same thing, but the right-wing media has done such, a, such an excellent job of kind of vilifying the others, in particular the city. You know, the city is so crime-ridden and such a big major problem. Um, you, I think your example was a little bit better using a, a northern county that's not affiliated with the city at all, but Something that I heard a lot in the uh, the suburbs of Washington County during this last election cycle was uh, in reference to safety. I feel safe, but, you know, the city is so dangerous. We need to be spending more money on policing there. I don't want my tax dollars to go up, but I want their tax dollars to go up because I'm sick of giving them all this money to to not accomplish anything. And I think it's such a important disconnect to kind of point out that the city of Milwaukee is driving the state forward. The That is where the entertainment hubs are. That's where the uh, dining hubs are. That's People are going to Milwaukee to enjoy their time out. They're not going to these very rural farmland communities and spending their money there. And cut, listen, Country Thunder is a fun time, but that's only one concert. Um, <laughs> uh, the The... the and now you're you're kind of touching into the the local control of revenue, which is a very Republican ideal, where the local citizenry gets to decide on how their revenue is spent. Everywhere that that happens, everywhere in the state of Wisconsin, except for Milwaukee County. Uh, Move forward, MKE is is a collaborative project uh, where uh, leadership. Uh, at the city and county level are trying to play nice uh, just to have the with the legislature just to have the privilege 
of charging a higher sales tax in Milwaukee County so that we can help pay for the things that we need. If we had permanent funding for transit, we could get a better rate when we're bonding to buy a new bus. If we had permanent sources of transit or permanent sources of funding for our Milwaukee County parks, we would be able to offer better pay and retain long-term staff and not have a, an employee shortage uh, in, our, in our parks department and in our pools with our lifeguards. So we could open up more pools. Um, we could have uh, uh, better funding for our for this, the needs that this, the city of Milwaukee uh, has, uh, but at the same time, we could also help uh, alleviate some of the high property tax burden we have in Milwaukee County. Um, it's by by uh, saving a third of our property taxes. It's kind of like having um, someone from. I don't want to pick on Waukesha, let's pick on Illinois. Someone from Illinois pay 25% of your property taxes. Absolutely, sign me up. Uh, a local sales tax um, option from Milwaukee County is sorely needed because all of those shared great free things that Milwaukee County residents enjoy are also enjoyed by our visitors and our guests, and we love to have them come here, but they don't get to participate in the cost. Uh, they come to Bradford Beach. There's no cost to go to the beach. It's subsidized. Suburbanites love that, though. They don't have to pay a dime and they get to come enjoy the benefits of it. Like it, I think it's I don't know. You you might be able to speak to this better, but it's kind of it's, it's such a stereotypically. Racist suburbanite mindset that, you know, we have fled the city to enjoy our time in the suburbs, but we still should get to enjoy the benefits of the city without having to pay for it. That's such a great point to touch on. Yeah, I mean, so Milwaukee County taxpayers, homeowners, um, bear the brunt of the cost to pay for our parks. Our parks are enjoyed by everyone. It makes our entire community better, uh, including our residents. They don't get to participate in the cost of maintaining those things. That's not a that's not a big lift for one penny sales tax, because uh, that's going to give property tax relief to all of our homeowners as well. So, um, Will, do you have any other questions? I, I just we, I was we straight way off the freeway. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, about no, the, well, that's OK. That's how it usually goes. We took one of those left hand off ramps. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the uh, the beautiful summer of 2016, the last time that society was like relatively normal when uh, Pokemon Go blew up and how many of my friends from school and, um, you know, people from the suburbs, my community, were, were, we would be going down in Milwaukee to go hang out and walk the beautiful park system, play Pokemon Go and all that. Like everybody uses these parks everybody should be contributing to it. It's, and it's absurd that the burden is placed solely on Milwaukee County residents. Yeah, so I mean, going back to um, you know, being fair and equitable across the state, um, pre-pandemic, we, the, the state did have a projected um, small surplus uh, right at the end of 2019. And the state legislature thought it was uh, a priority to support infrastructure across the state. And they decided they found uh, $72 million of extra transportation funding, but they wanted to make sure to, to share it equitably and equally uh, and be fair about it and decided to give every county across the state of Wisconsin an extra million dollars in transportation revenue. That's not that fair, it's not sense. equitable. Uh, that is a, is a direct, um, uh, it's uh, it's an affront to Milwaukee County and, um, and we should be upset that the state doesn't um, support uh, the economic engine. 
Uh, and remember just giving and giving more of uh, revenue to the state and getting less and less. Well, thank you very much, Peter, for coming on and explaining the 94 project to me. I feel like I understand what it's going to look like much, much better. Um, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Um, do you want to let people know where they can find you online, where they can learn more about your work um, on the Milwaukee County Board? Uh, Sup Bergelis uh, on Facebook. Uh, you just search for Supervisor Peter Bergelis. Find me there. Uh, or um, count my official county website is county.milwaukee.gov slash Bergelis. Um, I do want to point out, is this is the uh, podcast going to air this week, next this week? This week. This week. week. So, so um, I do want to point out that there are two public hearings for the I-94 reconstruction project. This is the important public hearing to show up to uh, and to testify to. There will be a court reporter writing down exact comments. Um, comments from this public hearing get submitted along with the um, proposal to the Federal Transportation Administration for final approval uh, by, uh, for the state of Wisconsin. These are the comments that are important. Um, there are two public hearings. Uh, you can go to either one of them. No need to go to both. Uh, but the first one is this is on Monday, December 12th, from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Tommy Thompson Center at State Fair Park. You can take a Milwaukee County Transit Route 33 to get there. Uh, and uh, the next public hearing is Wednesday, December 14th, from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. at Marquette University High School. Um, go Hilltoppers. Uh, you can take MCTS routes 35, 30, or the Gold Line to get there as well. Uh, but this is the this these are the comments that will be submitted in the in the final design preferred design option. Um, these are the comments that count uh, that the federal government will evaluate to see if the Department of Transportation has done their job or not to authorize final approval for the project. Well, thank you so much again for taking time out of your morning, Peter. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. People struggling, people dying. Every day's another headline. While people cheating, people lying. Leaving everybody else behind We can wait for somebody else to come along We can get on our feet and shout it Right now is the moment we've been waiting for Right now never been a better time